0: Scary movie. Fear is defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Congratulations, you are still alive. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Mm
1: -hmm. For fun? Most people are so unwavering. I'm so sorry to be alive. What do you want?
0: Presence in the house with you. We can't hurt you if you don't believe. I suggest you leave that house. Do it, Gordon. What do you do? Children, it's feeding time. Rape a young woman. The fifth such brutal crime in Ridgeway this month. Get her, Val! Teach that slut. Well, he's getting ain't nothing compared to what I'm gonna
1: do to you. I've got three bodies, two dead,
0: one male, one female. Die, Copper. Everybody's pegging robot ninjas, new Batman. I'll show you what the robot ninja is
1: really about. I want you to build me a suit, a real one. That's a Halloween costume. Robot ninja?
0: What's it all for? Did you mean to tell me that you're going out tonight?
1: You killed that boy. That little
0: boy. Police report that
1: Robot Ninja is now responsible for four war deaths. What kind of Robot Ninja screams in pain? Let's see if robots believe. Again. He tasks me. He tasks me and I shall have him. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares Maelstrom and round Perdition's Flames before I give him up. One. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I'm your host, David Streggy, and here in the room with me, I have with me director J.R. Brookwalter. Thank you for uh, uh, coming on on such short notice. I know you've, uh, you've got a countdown on your campaign. I had a tight schedule here, so I appreciate you being able to come uh, on and talk about your films with me.
0: No problem. I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: So, um, what? Why don't we get
0: started? Uh, uh, what?
1: How did you get involved with filmmaking to begin with? And. Uh, Tell me what led up to uh, your, uh, your first uh, if, uh, film, the dead next door that I see from 1989.
0: I think I was dropped on my head as a child, although my mother would deny that, but that, that's what I blame it on. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking, of course, but she, uh, I was told when she was uh, like nursing me when I was very young, when I was a baby, basically she, she watched dark shadows on television during the exactly. first season. and, um, I blame it on that, so I, I have no evidence to support that, but I wound up be, becoming addicted to that show uh, years later in syndication when I was a, a, a child. Well,
1: what's interesting is Dark Shadows is my favorite uh, soap opera to watch from. Oh,
0: yeah, absolutely. So I blame, I blame it all on my mother in Dark Shadows, So, which is ironic because then I would make a lot of Super 8 short films, and that all really started because my mother had the foresight, you know, a lot of families did that in the, I was, ra- I was born in 1966. A lot of families in the sixties had super eight movie cameras because this was before video and that's how everybody documented their children's walking and birthday parties and all that kind of stuff. And my mother had the foresight to buy a super eight camera and, and sort of document my sister and I growing up. So when I discovered that camera, when I was old enough, maybe 10 or 11 to, to tinker around that was really what uh, got me going to, to, you know, as far as the interest in making movies. And at first, it was just animating Star Wars figures and just whatever I could get my hands on, basically. And then later, it graduated to like splattering fake blood all over the neighbor kids and and pets and whatever I could get my hands on. Cool. And uh, ultimately, and then I continued doing it. You know, the the '80s came along. The mid '80s came along. I graduated high school in '84 and. MTV was all the rage. So, I, you know, I kind of was segued into doing a lot of music videos and that kind of thing. And that ultimately led to the path that got me to, uh, to making my first feature, The Dead Next Door, okay. uh, which was basically just from dropping out of, uh, I went to the Art Institute of Pittsburgh right out of high school uh, for a two year photography course. And at the beginning of the second year, my apartment was robbed and I said, well, I'm going to take this as an omen to just go back home. Cause I, Pittsburgh's like about two hour drive from Akron, Ohio, which is where I'm from. Okay. And, um, so I, I dropped out and within 45 days, 60 days of, of dropping out, I basically had a check in my hands to, to, for this first seed money to get started on the dead next door. So it's, okay. things happened very quickly after that.
1: Okay. And, uh, Now, how did you go about and find your actors? Uh, Were uh, were many of them, like, local or or, or just friends that that you knew or uh, uh, vice versa just to get you kick-started into uh, um, getting, uh, 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 you know, production going?
0: I had a handful of of people when I was doing the short films that that I would use repeatedly, and, you know, it would be family members and neighbors and that kind of thing. But when Dead Next Door came along, we actually... Um, held auditions, and, and we had a whole troop of local actors. But what happened was, by the time we were actually able to kind of get started, we were right up against uh, an Ohio winter, which is uh, not a lot of fun. So we everything kind of got waylaid for a period of months over the winter. And what happened is when we regrouped and were ready to continue, most of those people had just lost interest or moved on or whatever. So there were a few stragglers that remained and uh, we, had, we did auditions all over again and basically wound up with a completely, almost completely new cast. I think out of that whole group, maybe it was, uh, there's a girl, Jennifer Mullen, who plays the, the character of Powers. She was is the only one that really came from my short film days. Um, okay. That's sort of carried on with me. And she also did wardrobe and some other things on a film. So, But yeah, I must say it was pretty much all people that we found people that i had you know because you, you're starting out you, you don't really have a lot of people that that uh when you're when you're making a feature you know it's one thing to have it short films but it, it wasn't like an evil dead thing where i had a bruce campbell to fall back on i had to start i had to start from scratch
1: totally understand so um while you were um filming uh was there any mishaps or or anything that uh, that, uh, that uh happened on the set, uh, set that uh it, 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 I, I like hearing the background uh, uh, ground, uh, sometimes. Uh, what uh, what went on uh, in the background? Is there yeah. anything that you could remember that uh, that uh, happened on set that you could share with us?
0: There there were there were many mishaps. We <laughs> I mean, we had, we had uh, borrowed some prop uh, some actual real guns to use as props on the movie, and and one uh, at one point during the shooting one of these pistols disappeared and nobody knew what happened to it. Nobody would confess to taking it. I We don't, To so this day, I don't know if it was lost, stolen, misplaced, you know, we're shooting in a high school where my parents had gone to high school and it was really sort of a big controversy because it's like, nobody likes the idea. We're all very uncomfortable with the idea of a firearm that it, although it's not, it wasn't loaded when we had it, but it's like, you know, it's still, it's like, you don't know what, what's going to happen. But really, I mean, that whole, movie was just a string of, of mishaps. I think I, I I did a book years ago called B movies in the nineties and beyond, which I just reprinted. And, uh, that I think I covered like the first three chapters in the book are really, you know, the, the making of dead next door, because there were so many, I mean, the classic one is we went down to Washington DC to do pickup shots for the shots of the zombies crawling on the white house fence and nearly got arrested. And, um, you know, the one weird thing that didn't really happen on that film that happens to a lot of filmmakers that I've talked to in years since is we didn't really have any, nobody kind of walked off or left the production. Once once it was in full swing, it was it was a very like um, some people have, have, con, have compared it to either Woodstock or like the Jim Jones guyana cult I, you take your pick which one which one you wanted to uh, follow but it was very weird because once everybody got into it we were all really into it i mean it was and it was a big cast and a big crew i mean there were probably 50 core people in that at the at the height of that thing and and everybody nobody was really being paid it was just you know i don't know why people stuck around but they did and thank god they did because you know it was uh, I've heard the horror stories about uh, uh,
1: uh, so, uh, uh, so far with some independent uh, uh, filmmakers how uh, how people will either not show up to the set or or you know uh, uh, you know schedules conflict <laughs> all- yeah, no we I mean for whatever reason
0: we really never had I mean later towards the tail end after we were had been shooting for months of course then you run into scheduling conflicts and things but I had people that were much older than me like in their fifties and even and even older that were you know sacrificing jobs and and giving up school and just all kinds of you know to, to come and participate in this movie and I was one of the younger people on the entire production uh, exactly. almost, almost everybody was older than me so for all these people to sort of look up to me as the the, the you know the guiding ship of, to, to guide this whole ship you know it's sort of crazy thought to begin with but okay it was a once in- a- lifetime experience I've never <laughs> All the other movies that I've ever made, not no other experiences come close to that one.
1: Now, before I ask about its reception at the time, um, uh, uh, why don't you give us a little bit of synopsis of The Dead Next Door for the uh, uh, for the audience, and then uh, I'll I'll ask you how you know how its reception was. And I, I understand that you had a Blu-ray release for it, just like you have for uh, Robot Ninja coming up. So
0: yeah, that was uh, three years ago. <laughs> Uh, it raised the money the same way <laughs> i I'll go to do uh, 2K restoration from the original Super 8 film elements. Um, the movie basically is uh, it's got a kind of two two parts to it. The, the the crux of it is this doctor in Akron, Ohio has has mistakenly invented this virus that causes the dead to come back to life, which is a very sort of similar scenario to many of the Romero films or other zombie yeah. movies. But the twist is that. The years later, the, the, the government has decided that the best way to combat the problem is to come up with these uh, military teams called the zombie squad that basically go out and try and rescue people and and destroy the zombies as best they can. I mean, the thing is, they're, they're a little bit different than the Romero zombies. You can't just shoot them in the head and they fall down. <laughs> the virus is sort of throughout the body. So it's established early on, like there's a scene where, where one of them gets its head cut off and the head's still alive and it bites the fingers off one of the soldiers and the fingers actually come out of the, the throat, which is always a, a scene that everybody seems to, to remember from this film. But um, And along the way, the, relig- the the zombie squad has to return to Akron, Ohio to try and find the original serum that caused this whole thing. And they, they run into a religious cult that is trying to protect the zombies and keep them, uh, uh, I guess, alive is not the right word, but keep them uh, functioning uh for their own sinister purpose, I guess. So, so The military and the and the the cult butt heads, and that, that sort of leads to the final conflict.
1: Okay, uh, and uh, how was the film's reception? Uh, once you completed the um, now I understand. Did it have a VHS release at any given point? Yeah, in time? It, was,
0: it was really. It's actually it's, it's credited a lot to, to, as a 1989 film, but it actually did not come out until 1990. I don't know. I, I think the IMDb got that wrong years ago Sometimes they
1: screw up i I, 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 i've known them to uh, be that way
0: (laughs) but i did i finished the film in 1989 and then really it didn't come out till over a year later um a little company out of north carolina called electro video put it out and they had done us their own super eight film called killer that they had put out so they had a little experience with that but um you know it's funny because the film i had given only given out a handful of copies there was um filmmaker named Scott Spiegel was involved in the film as an actor and and he was part of uh, Sam Raimi's group up in Michigan. And, and he, I think he was, he was one of the people that sort of passed it along to other people It kind of got shared. At, at, you know, back in the VHS days, this is what everybody did. People made mm-hmm. copy of it and passed it around. And so it kind mm-hmm. of, it, 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 the, the reaction was not immediate. It was sort of a slow build and then it, then reviews started coming in and different things. And so it, it was, uh, it was a much slower process. It wasn't like today, where everything's like immediately something comes out and, and you know everybody has an opinion. <laughs> there was no Twitter for people to jump on and crucify the film.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, unfortunately, there are uh, those kind of reviewers out there. Uh, 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 and me being <laughs> a reviewer myself, I, I know I know sometimes. Some, uh, uh, Sometimes there is backlash with uh, with some of these uh, 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 films.
0: So. Well, I mean, the thing is, the 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 reaction was actually very positive. People people oh. dug it for what it was. It was uh, it was sort of seen as sort of a almost documentary style movie. I think that had, had, because it was super 8, and it's a, a chunk of it was shot handheld, things like that. People liked the the look and the ambition of it. You know, it's a, not very often where you see zombies crawling on the real white house fence, you know, with the white house in the background or the Washington monument in the background. So there was a lot of stuff that going on in the movie that nobody had seen before. And it was the word of mouth spread once, you know, people were able to actually see it. Um, and it was helped by, we had a, a, a big four page spread in Fangoria magazine back in, in the, that magazine's heyday. And that really sort of put it on a lot of people's radar because people were sort of looking out for it. Then it's just unfortunate that we had that press and then it was a, probably a couple of years went by before it actually was as available to, you know, to buy it or rent it. Nice.
1: So uh, ultimately, um, uh, now you, uh, I know I touched on this a little bit, but you had a 2k restoration of, uh, of the uh, f- film, uh, uh, how many years ago? Uh,
0: it was three years ago, 2015. I started that. I, and yeah, it was just, it was something I, I started just as sort of a lark. I thought, well, you know, I'm seeing, I'm buying all, I'm a blue blu-ray collector myself and I started to see all these great, restorations of all my old you know favorite films that i was collecting and i thought i wonder what it would look like to to scan, to scan this super 8 film so i sent the first reel of it out and uh was was pleasantly surprised as to you know what the results were so that sort of encouraged me to do it and then everybody kept saying oh you should try Kickstarter or indiegogo and so we i chose indiegogo and um you know we raised some of the money that way and then i i we finished it off and it did, you know, it did well. We sold through that. We pressed a thousand discs, sold through those. And then I have since uh, last year put out a two disc collector's edition, which is sort of the retail version. It's a little bit less expensive than the, than the original one, but same transfer and everything. Okay. But in between the VHS and the Blu-ray, there was a DVD release, which is how a lot of people discovered the film more recently. Cause it was, that was released from Anchor Bay. And I, th- I, I hear it was in Best Buys and all over the place at the yeah, time. So that's a lot, of, that's a the lot copy that i ended up picking up myself so <laughs> a lot of people knew the movie from that but unfortunately i mean that was a remastered version in that it was a new transfer but it but it was not an hd transfer and if you, even if you compare those two versions it's a huge difference the the 2k just it's absolutely the best way to see it all righty so uh
1: ultimately after um the Dead Next Door. You went on to a, another film called Robot Ninja, and uh, uh, now, how did you get involved with that? Uh, 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 I mean, I know you started. Um, did you write it around the same time as The Dead Next Door? Or?
0: No, in fact, it's uh, it was a total, total opposite experience of The Dead Next Door. In fact, I had I was out in L.A. finishing the sound for The Dead Next Door when I met a filmmaker named David Dakota and he had a company he was starting called Cinema Home Video and the way i met him was he was shooting a film called Murder Weapon that my friend David Barton who had done some of the makeup effects for Dead Next Door he was him and a friend of his were doing the makeup effects for that film so while i was out there i was going on set and you know documenting some of the footage and stuff and and I, the, the where i was the place where i was staying in Van Nuys California doing scoring the music and stuff at the time they were doing the makeup effects in the garage. So like Dave Dakota would show up with Linnea Quigley who co-produced the film and starred in, in murder weapon. And, right. and that, that's how I got involved with them. And so I basically, David Barton was like, Hey, you should tell Dakota, you know, you should start hitting him up. He's looking for projects for this home video label. So um, I actually didn't pitch him something for myself. At first I had two friends, filmmaking friends that had their own projects and, I pitched him those and he was interested in the one um, and we had another meeting and then it just sort of just, he decided, no, maybe I don't want to go in that direction. And he said, well, what do you have? I showed him maybe 20 minutes of that next door and he liked it. And he said, uh, you know, what do you have? And I, I really didn't have anything because most of the scripts I had written at that time, you know, he wanted to do something for like ten, fifteen thousand dollars And I, to me, it, I just wasn't like not ready to do it. Most of my stuff was much, more grandiose, my ideas at the time. So I didn't have anything, but to salvage the deal, I said, well, do you have any things that you have in mind that maybe we can do from scratch? And he said, well, I have this title, Robot Ninja. And I cringed because (laughs) it's not particularly an interest of mine because I immediately visualized probably what should have been, what the movie should have been made as. It's like a kickboxing, you know, literal, literal robot ninja, um, which didn't really interest me. but of course in the in the sake of of saving a deal i said well yeah i could probably do something with that so i finished up my work on dead next door and was going back to akron ohio on a greyhound bus which is an experience of its own because cross country on the greyhound and uh, that's basically where i sort of came up with the idea of what it was going to be and it was completely the opposite of probably what dave dakota had in mind but he he liked the pitch and liked the treatment i sent him and ultimately like the script and, and we went in that direction. Um, and basically what it was, I, I it was the, the Tim Burton's Batman was finished and about to come out. I think it was coming out the month we were shooting that movie or the month after we shot that movie in, in the summer of 89. So the comic book thing was really heavy on my mind. So I, I got the idea of this frustrated comic book artist who witnesses, witnesses the, a couple being murdered by this gang that's sort of terrorizing his small town. And he decides to, to sort of don the persona of his famous character robot ninja who's currently being made into sort of a campy tv show like the you know batman series in the 60s which of course i grew up with was a huge fan of Uh, but he's sort of artistically lashing out and deciding he's going to take this character in another direction and and make a literal robot ninja and and sort of wreak you know get get revenge on this gang uh and it doesn't quite work out for him I hate to say, but uh, yeah. <laughs> that was sort of the idea I came up with. It was much darker, much more bleak, and way gorier probably than, than Dave Dakota ever had in mind.
1: Which is probably a good thing because you don't al- you don't always want to, you know, make every single film exactly like the next, you know, uh, uh, like your previous or, or your next film, you know. You kind of want to have a, a difference in, you know, the way that you film your art, you know.
0: Well, it was an interesting position to be put in because I, you know, I had so many of my own ideas and it was a strange thing for me to so quickly. I mean, I really had to write the script and I think the original draft was literally like three days, you know, after I had, had come up with the core idea. So to to be able to do it so quickly and everything just fell into place so quickly. And before I knew it, you know, the checks were showing up and we were buying stuff and we were making the thing and it just all it was the total opposite because dead next door, Wound up, taking four years to make, and another year before it ever came out. This thing was in the can within <clears throat> two or three months, and then it was on video store shelves, you know, less than six months after that. So it was really like an express train compared to what I had done the first time around. So you didn't have a lot of time, I didn't have a lot of time to, to overthink it or to, you know what I mean? It was mm-hmm. it just, it just sort of picked up its own momentum and it, it turned out the way it was going to turn out I guess I mean that good bad or indifferent
1: totally understand so uh, ultimately um now uh, did you work with any actors on Robot Ninja that you had worked on previously with uh, the Dead Next Door or uh, did you ultimately pool for different actors
0: no i didn't have time I and mean, we did hold a few auditions but it was it, i really had to pull from the, the cast that I had already, um, there was a, the lead character, his name's Leonard Miller, who plays a robot ninja was a guy, Michael Todd who had, had played the role of the Jason zombie in the dead next door. And he had also been my assistant director. He, he stepped into the lead role on that. And the, um, guy who played Dr. Molson, uh, in dead next door became Dr. Hubert goodnight, sort of similar role. And he's, he's even got the cheesy, uh, baseball cap that he wears in dead next door in, in robot ninja. In, very, in many ways, it was sort of an extension. I, I looked at Robot as an extension, even though it's a completely different movie, it's not, it's not really about zombies, although it, there are some flashback scenes with zombies. But yeah, the cast came was literally ripped right out. The main bad guy uh, is was the girl who played Anna in The Dead Next Door, and she played this character, Gody Sanchez, which was originally written for a man but we couldn't find anybody to play it. And then we thought, oh, you know, it'd be kind of funny to have it, to turn it into this sort of butch lesbian, you know, bad guy. And that, you know, you're talking about 1989 when nobody really did that. So it's sort of like, <laughs> I'm not saying I was ahead of my time, but it, it's sort of interesting to look back on it and think that, boy, that, you know, people do that all the time, you know, the ghost. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but at that time, it was very strange. <laughs> it was a strange thing, you know. But yes, so the cast was borrowed essentially from the Dead Next Door, with a few uh, uh, extra people thrown in that, that we knew or, or whatever. So, okay, but the core cast and the core crew were all from from the first film.
1: Now, is there anything that you can remember from being on set that you can re- remember in particular? Something that you'd like to share? You know, while while you were filming, uh, uh, that might have been, uh, 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 um, you know. Might have been something that you can share.
0: <laughs> you know, the it was so fast because I think we only shot maybe two, not even two and a half weeks, and I'm not even sure. It was so many, so much of it was shot at night um, because it was the movie took place at night. We, so we were on this weird night schedule, so everybody was in this sort of like bizarre, like you know, hazy. If you've if you've ever stayed up nights in a row, you know, uh, you you would understand it. But I the main thing I remember is a lot of Taco Bell. Like we would like. <laughs> Two in the morning, and the only thing that was open was Taco Bell. So somebody (laughs) bought the Taco Bell for our dinner break, you know, essentially in the middle of the night. And uh, so that was a movie that was totally like, you know, the Taco Bell was our fuel, essentially, to get through that thing. But it's (laughs) speaking of the movie, I mean, I don't really remember a lot of specifics. I think because it went by so fast. Okay. It was at a much quicker pace. So it basically went on without a hitch. Uh, yeah. I mean, I really don't remember too much because it was a new, we were shooting, you know, instead of super eight film, we were shooting on 16 millimeter film. So that was a, that was a step up, you know, the film gauge was twice as big as before. Um, and so it was a new camera. I remember I think the first week or first couple of days of the footage, I was running camera on the whole thing. Um, and I was, I was sort of getting acclimated to the camera because I really, we didn't even have time to do camera tests or anything, which I would have loved to have done. It was sort of talk about just sort of jumping into the deep end of the pool, you know, right out of the gate. Um, so I remember there was some footage on the first day or two of the, I, I wasn't quite clear on the, 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 you know, the viewfinder in the camera, as far as the cropping and where everybody's heads were. I remember there was footage where the heads are sort of clipped up, clipped off at of the top. There's a scene where the doctor and the comic book artist have a disagreement in his apartment and, That footage always bothers me to this day because we could never, we didn't have time to reshoot it. But it was because I was sort of getting adjusted to the camera and trying to figure out what what the hell I was doing. (laughs) (laughs) I was winging it through that whole production, essentially.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So um, ultimately, um, once you uh, completed uh, the filming of uh, Robot Ninja, um, how was its perception? And uh, now that did get a VHS release, correct?
0: Yeah. No, this was, I mean, this, this movie was essentially a work for hire. I was paid basically to, you know, a small fee to make this movie for another company. And uh, that was the cinema home video and and they released it in December of 89. And it was pretty much, I mean, I don't think any, there were any good reviews of the movie, to be honest. It was, (laughs) it was was widely despised. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, it's funny because at first I, I sort of got defensive about that and said, well, wait a minute. You know, I was very unhappy with the movie when it was finished. It just was not, it wasn't until we were putting the sound effects and the music and stuff on it. I scored the music as well. I have nobody to blame, but myself because I wrote, produced, directed, edited, scored the music. I have a cameo in it. I mean, I, you know, I, it's just, I, it was absolutely my fault. I take all the blame for it. <laughs> for conceiving it in the first place. But, um, yeah, it was not it, – it did okay for Cinema Home Video business-wise. I mean, they sold a, a respectable number of units, I was told. But um, it was – I mean, Weekly Variety reviewed it and just jumped all over it. Um, and Fangoria, I think the maybe six months after the VHS release, release just completely savaged it. It wasn't until – years later i mean i i literally sort of disowned the movie as being such an awful experience and just sort of moved on with the rest of my so-called career but it wasn't until years later that i people started coming up to me and saying i really like that movie and i'm like Wait, what <laughs> you're supposed to hate that movie don't you know it was a strange it was a strange thing um, i've heard it uh, uh,
1: termed as being one of the best worst movies or or, or something like that at, at least at least through some of the grapevine. So I, I mean,
0: the only thing I can say about that movie it's it's a it's a unique specimen because it's it's its own weird animal. There's there's really I can't even think of too many movies that are even sort of similar to that film. It's it's its own animal, and it just a lot of the, there's a lot of interesting concepts in the movie that don't quite pan out, and it's just so. Bleak, you know, it's really like I I was had come off this long excruciating process of making Dead Next Door, and I think I had a lot of like dark uh, clouds hanging in my, over my head that ri- that literally sort of just went into this film, and that's why it's not very lighthearted or it's it's very mean spirited and just nasty, and there's a lot of you know nasty language in it, and the gore is just over the top, like ridiculous, like. You know, the, when somebody gets killed, they get re- really killed. I mean, it's not like bang, you're dead. It's like bang, I'm gonna stick this gun in your eye socket. I'm gonna curse over your corpse. You know, I mean, it's just, it's just all very mean spirited. <laughs> and I've never made really made another movie like that either. I mean, that, it's a it, that was sort of a one off anomaly.
1: Well, ultimately, now ultimately uh, later, after uh, Robot Ninja, you went under a pseudonym uh, by the name of Lance Randis?
0: Yeah, well, that was I, that actually happened later. Um, I mean, I produced a couple films after Robot Ninja, and then eventually made a string of shot-on-video movies that were originally released with my name on them, and then over time, I sort of got the rights back to them and remastered them and decided you know, maybe I better take my name off of these. And I, I don't really even try to hide it anymore because pretty much everybody knows that, uh, that I made those films, which is fine. But uh, <laughs> at one time, the IMDb actually had a listing for Lance Randis where they, all those, mo- and then something happened, they did some kind of update or something and suddenly like all those exactly. movies, went On to my IMD page, I'm like, oh, damn, <laughs> you just have to accept it and move on. What can you well, say? Well, the first of these was a
1: film called Zombie Cop. Now, when did you uh, um uh go into the production for that?
0: Well, that was actually the second one. There, there was um, that the Kingdom of the Vampire was shot just before Zombie Cop, okay. um, but I Kingdom of the Vampire, I never publicly disowned it always had my name on it but that was um after i produced *Skinned alive and worked on a film called ghoul school in 1990 i think uh, i moved to california and, and then nothing happened there i moved back and that's when i made kingdom of the vampire and zombie cop which was basically two sh- super vhs shot on video movies for five thousand dollars or some ridiculous amount of money so those are <laughs> were shot back to back and then there were four others after that um that were sort of shot the same way like we would shoot them in twos like i refer to those films now as as our as a six-pack because that's what you would need to have to even entertain watching them any of the six (laughs) (laughs) at this point the more six packs the better but um yeah so that was sort of a darker period of my uh so-called career i guess making that stuff but you know again those, those were all made for Uh, Very similar to the Robot Ninja thing because it was they cinema home video had a deal with this company called Rentrack who that you would basically we would make the box covers which couldn't have the even the cast on it it had just artwork and then a synopsis on the back he would send it to them they would while while we were making the movie they were listing it and starting to sell it and then we literally finished it it went to the duplicators and they were shipping units to the stores and it was all over the country I mean so many people remember those movies because they picked them up in, in the video stores because the way the deal worked with rent track is that I think the store only paid like $5 or some nominal fee to, to get the tape in. And then they would split the revenue with rent who would split it with the distributor, you know, who made the release, the film. Exactly. So it was a good deal. I mean, you'd never see something like that nowadays probably because it's, there's, you know, that was back in the day when VHS tapes were $80 or <laughs> Totally understand. Uh, and
1: now I'm just going to mention a few other titles here, and then uh, wh- what I'm going to do is gonna, I'm going to have you uh, just talk about what uh, what uh, what each of these were uh, were about. If you can remember uh, anything from you know the sets or uh, while you were go- uh, go- uh, going about filming uh, uh, these, and I know these are some of the ones you would consider <laughs> <laughs> ones that you would probably. Uh,
0: have to sit through or whatnot <laughs> i'm too uh, old for that now i just i just ignore they're all my my red-headed still stepchildren at this point get, get dis-
1: maximum impact humanoids from atlantis and the galaxy of the dinosaurs
0: yeah well that was that was the other half of that six-pack <laughs> yeah um you know i I don't really i try to remember the maximum impact actually the making of that movie was a breeze it was like a perfect experience it was pretty much me and like two or three other people on the crew that, that made that thing it was it was sort of done and over with very quickly i enjoyed you know working with the cast on it and stuff i mean i don't have i really don't have anything bad to say about it i, I you would have to strap me to a chair to probably sit through it at this point <laughs> Now, um, I remastered it uh, along with all these movies a few years ago um, for the this bad movie police series that I created that was sort of poking fun at these movies. But um, yeah, no, that I mean that was a good experience. It just you know not a good experience doesn't always make a good movie. You know, it's a sort of like Animal home video wanted something that wasn't horror that was sort of like a more of an action kind of film, and that's what we made. And it's it's an action. It's we call it. I, my the cast and crew has crew joked that it's minimum impact because there's really not nothing really happens in the movie so much. It's it's a lot of like threats that something's going to happen and then it's over. <laughs> like so, <laughs> nothing-
1: I, if I remember correctly, did Galaxy no. of the Dinosaurs make Mystery
0: Science Theater or it did not? Um, okay. You're probably mixing that up. There's there's stock- the last dinosaur. Yeah. yeah, there's stock footage from a film called Planet of the Dinosaurs that yeah, There Dave- we go. Yeah, that's what I was remembering. Dave Dakota bought the the stock footage for cheap, and that we basically made a story around it, and that's how that that's how he wanted to make uh humanoids. He, he wanted to do sci-fi. He wanted to do the Humanoids from Atlantis, which was we were well actually we did Galaxy first, but Humanoids from Atlantis was set in I think it was February March. In, in Ohio, and when you can't even get in a lake or any body of water because it's frozen, pretty much, or it's certainly cold enough to do it, so that one was going to be a problem right out of the gate. Uh, Galaxy of the Dinosaurs is actually a very fun experience as far as making the movie because it, it didn't—I really didn't feel a lot of pressure on it. It was sort of like you know we we already had our money shots, so to speak, because we had the dinosaur footage. So it was really all just the logistical part of it, and we were we were really poking fun at. You know the whole Planet of the Apes kind of thing. I mean, all the, all those kind of movies that we grew up with, and all the science fiction movies. I love all that stuff, but we were we were not taking it seriously in any way, shape, or form. So it was sort of a wink, wink, you know, nudge, nudge. And that's, and that's the way I think uh,
1: any person uh, watching any of these uh, films should take in mind that, uh, that uh, you should really shouldn't take uh, any uh, films at, at all, anytime seriously. Yeah. I mean, Once you yeah. do that and have a blank mind, you know.
0: You, well it's hard because that's a thing, like something like Robot Ninja, you know, <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to smile during it because it's so dour that, you know, it's like it's nice to have a movie like a, something like a galaxy of the dinosaurs where it's just so silly, you can't take it seriously. You know what I mean? <laughs> Robot Ninja is more of a target for bad criticism because it's you know, it almost is like you know here it is, it's dark. You know, you have nothing, you can only dislike it because it just makes you feel so, uh, you know what I mean?
1: I, I know what you mean. So, uh, ultimately, after that, uh, 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 those experiences uh, with uh, uh, filmmaking, uh, you went on to uh, do a film called Ozone, correct?
0: Yeah, correct, yeah, that was, uh, and that was really just out of frustration of having made, I literally had made six move, six of these shot on video movies over like a seven month period. And I just felt like I couldn't do it that anymore because it's just creatively, it's just, you know, it's not what I want, not what I got into this for certainly. And, and it just was, you know, I, it, I was subject matter that I maybe wasn't really interested in aside from probably kingdom of the vampire was one that I actually had, did have my heart in or felt like I did, but ozone sort of fell, the script fell in my lap. Uh, some guys that had worked on dead next door early on um, had they were going to make it. And they said, Hey, can you help us make this? And I read the script um, and loved it and basically went back to the, to to them and said, Hey, let me direct this. You kick in your money. I'll match it and, and we'll do this and we'll do it the right way where we have enough time. You know, we didn't necessarily have money. We still shot it super VHS video and all the, you know, basically everything that I had learned up to that point about shooting on video but we tried to kick it up a notch like back on dead next door we had made like cranes and dollies and all these things to do all these cool camera shots and we did that again on ozone i sort of re had all this stuff remade so that we could make it a more cinematic experience essentially it's like I, i i did believe that it was possible to make a good shot on video movie and make it look like a movie you know rather than a Soap opera or a home video or whatever. So that was that was my intention with ozone. Anyways, I I just felt like I had something to prove. And after making a string of of forgettable bad movies that I didn't really want to make, I wanted, I wanted to make something that sort of proved that that next door may not have been a fluke.
1: I guess. Now going back on some of these titles before we move on, um, uh, did uh did you uh have any experience that you can remember on any of the uh, these titles? Uh, zombie cock. Kingdom of the Vampire, Maximum Impact, Humanoids from Atlantis, or Galaxy of the Dinosaurs, uh, that you can really, you know, like pinpoint and remember. Uh, you know that that you'd like to share.
0: Well, Kingdom of the Vampire was notable because the we got the first first day of shooting. We pretty much sailed right through up until the evening when we were shooting, and then I I shredded my knee while setting up a shot like i mean i was i basically directed the rest of that movie out of a wheelchair and on and crutches and had to uh literally start pulling pages out of the script i'm like well we don't need this we don't need this because i couldn't shoot it i physically couldn't i mean i had a uh, producing partner with me that, that that we were both supposed to be setting up the we were supposed to do the lighting and then I was supposed to run the camera and I couldn't even do that. I had to literally just sit in front of a monitor and say, you know, do this, do that, do that. Cause I couldn't move around. And, uh, it, I remember that vividly now because about two months ago I ripped up my knee. Uh, the almost the exact, it's the same, the same knee. I, I sort of re had the same injury. So, uh, the only difference is I wasn't making a movie this time, but thank God <laughs> 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 that, one's, that one's memorable from, because it was literally like the pain of, of doing it and, we pulled, we pulled so much out of it that I had to the the first cut was only like 45 minutes. We had to actually go back once up my I had, my leg had sort of healed and and shoot some of that stuff that we had pulled out of the script because it it had you know we had a it had to be, at least be 65 or 70 minutes or something the running time of it. So that, okay. that that's the most memorable out of that those six probably. Okay. Cool. um now um
1: ultimately after ozone uh, you uh went on to direct uh, the sandman now uh I- I- how did you get in, in, into that project and here we're we're starting to get uh, get into your what uh, like your relationship with uh uh full moon uh
0: well that was that's still a few years off but the sandman actually dates back to I think eighty nine or ninety, probably. I had had met a guy through a Fangoria personal ad, of all things, named Matthew Jason Walsh, and he had, he had, was trying to raise the money for a film of his own. And I had contacted him just to see what he had, and you know, read the script or whatever. And I liked his writing, and we started talking. And he he didn't have anything. He had no no money, no budget, no you know, no hope of ever getting the thing made. And I said, well, why don't you? write a script for me and I had this idea that I'd come up with with uh, Dave Lang who had done the, the ro- invented the robot ninja character and done all the drawings for robot ninja. He and I had come up with the Sandman and so Matt came out for a while and, and wrote the script and we just, we tried to get the money raised back then and just wasn't happening and this is of course at a time where we would have shot it on 16 millimeter instead of super VHS. but. Um, <laughs> after ozone i was sort of at a crossroads like okay now where do i go from here this was we pulled this off and we sold it sold respectively respectively and and you know it's like what's the next step so that i don't bungle this again with something (laughs) like a robot ninja so um after weighing a bunch of stuff i kind of went back to that sandman script and said you know i really like this but if there's if we could just make it a little smaller. So we, we moved the locale, set it in a trailer park, and that's kind of how the genesis of how that one was. And that one was sort of an effort to make uh, where robot ninja was sort of like hardcore on the blood and guts. Sandman was the opposite because at the time blockbuster video was starting to entertain buying movies like this, like the lower end shot of video things. And yeah. I was would- trying to I was eyeballing like maybe we can get this into blockbuster if we make it a little more I hesitate to use the words family friendly but that was sort of the impetus of it let's let's clean it up a little bit and, and maybe you know we can get a blockbuster sale out of this which of course did not ever wind up happening so that was the the sad irony of it but but that was the goal and um, that one was a crazy shoot because we the whole movie almost entirely takes place in this trailer park and Although I wasn't personally living at the trailer, I was. It was 45 minutes away outside of Youngstown, Ohio. I would drive back and forth every day. But um, some of the cast and crew they actually were living there in the trailer park, and they had some crazy stories to tell <laughs> about the people that lived there and things that happened and all that kind of stuff. It was it was a definitely. Uh, an experience I would not necessarily want to. Uh, I mean, it's funny because when you start, everybody's excited, and they're like, Oh, there's a movie being shot in our trailer park, and blah blah blah. And then you get, you know, sort of like the third week of shooting or whatever, and everybody's like, When are you guys going to be out of here? When are you going to leave? You know, because you're just disrupting people's lives, and it's like, Wait a minute, we're in the middle of a shot, don't you know, don't come down the street or whatever. So, I think they were as sick of us as we were of them, probably, but. <laughs>
1: Totally understand. Uh, so, um, did you want to give us a little bit of surmise of, or, uh, of the Sandman before we move on?
0: Yeah, I mean, it sort of was. In, I, I guess I, this was inspired mostly, I think, by A Nightmare on Elm Street. The idea was the the Sandman is this creature that sort of uh, gives you good dreams to put you to sleep, and and so you're not paying attention, and it steals your soul. And it's basically the story of a of a frustrated writer who. Uh, he's having insomnia. He's, he's writing like these bad, like smutty, you know, women's uh, love romance books or whatever. And he just can't seem to get anywhere in his career. And so he's up in the middle of the night, not, you know, he's frustrated and he sees something in his trailer park. That's kind of going around from trailer to trailer. And, you know, of course he eventually discovers that this creature, the Sandman exists and has targeted his, on again off-again girlfriend uh, who lives in the same trailer park to uh, to sort of see it steal her soul as well as everyone else that lives in the trailer park
1: very cool mm-hmm. uh, now um were there any actors in any of these of uh, 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 films that, uh, that we have aforementioned after robot ninja uh, uh, that uh, that you had reused from uh, from uh, your previous uh, films along the way or, oh,
0: yeah. or were for sure, yeah. There was a uh, guy named James Black from, who uh, had lived in Ohio, lived in Columbus, I think, and he had been on briefly on the Cleveland Browns football team or whatever. He, he went to Akron U with uh, my co-producer, Scott Plummer, and he, he came in and, and did the uh, voodoo doctor role in Zombie Cop, this guy Dr. Death, and then okay. he was in Chick Boxer. He was in... Maximum Impact, he was in Galaxy of the Dinosaurs, and he was finally in Ozone. And after, okay. after Ozone, he actually cut a reel of footage from Ozone because he's so good in that movie and, and moved to L.A. and, and wound up on a, a TV show called The Burning Zone. <coughs> that sort of launched his career. Nice. Know, yeah, he moved on to bigger, better things. Okay,
1: <laughs> cool. Um, now, after The Sandman, uh, you did a movie called Polymorph. Um, uh, now, how did you get involved with that film?
0: That's another one. Well, these are, see, now we're in the period where these were all films that were self-generated, essentially. The idea was to finance them and distribute them and own them, essentially, and and that they would be my movies. Polymorph is another one that dates back, really, almost to my childhood. I mean, when I was shooting Super 8 films, I had come up with this crazy story called Polymorph about this sort of alien life form that uh, infests people in the woods. It, it, It first infests this sort of redneck serial killer who's basically like killing people and putting their bodies in this swamp near, you know, near his house. And, and people are going into the woods and disappearing. And essentially this, this alien life form infests him. And, and then, you know, it spreads to the, to the other people. But what it was, okay. what had happened is I had um, gotten involved with an actress named Ariana Albright, right at the, the Sandman had been shot, but it hadn't been distributed yet. And she kind of, the movie was originally going to just sort of get shelved and I wasn't sure what to do with it. I was sort of in a weird place in life and she sort of convinced me to, you know, do do a few things here and put it out and it'll be great. And then, then she was like, well, let's do another movie that we can do together. And I said, well, go into my filing cabinet, go through all these old ideas that I had her. It was actually her and, and another uh, actor, James Edwards, who they were both chomping at the bit to do something. I said, see what you guys can dig up and, bring it to me and, and we'll talk. Well, so they, they sort of selected polymorph. That was sort of the way that got made. Okay. And James Edwards rewrote the script, which is quite a bit different than what my original story was. The, the core elements are there, but he added sort of a drug gang element to it and some other things. He plays more like a science fiction Tarantino movie or something now okay. than the original version did. Um, but yeah, that one, uh, and that one was, that was actually a tough film to make. I don't know why it was just, I remember shooting the, for the first couple of days we shot all the stuff in the, in this cabin at, at, out in the woods. And it was like where every character in the movie literally comes together in this, in this cabin and I'm shooting and I'm like, I'm just like, I don't know if it was that I wasn't prepared. I thought I was prepared, but I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing here. So I just had to start shooting Footage of everybody throughout this action. I mean, mostly handheld stuff, just kind of mm-hmm. has a documentary feel. But um, once I got through that, I sort of like picked up the pace, and it, it, it turned out to be a decent little movie. That's actually one a lot of people cite as a favorite you know, out of all the movies that I've made. But the funny thing is, it it did no business, and it's just it just it seems to be a lost title for some reason. But I think it's one of the better ones that we've done out of all these, especially in the shot on video days. And uh,
1: I, I, I seem to remember uh, an Indiegogo campaign that, uh, that uh, supposedly was going to re- go into the uh, polymorph uh, world several, uh, maybe a year ago or something like that.
0: No, I think you're thinking of James Edwards, who who, who wrote the script for that film. He okay. was, he raised money for his own film, but there. Okay. Uh, Totally unrelated, but he okay. because he probably mentioned he was you know selling it on the basis of having been in polymorph probably Yeah, to, yeah but, okay. uh, I wasn't,
1: one I, wasn't sure. I, I, I wasn't sure I I, I just remembered it, it, it going on and I wasn't <laughs> sure if it was related. Oh, yeah. There's
0: so many of those things nowadays <laughs> so you need to get them all mixed up
1: <laughs> So uh, ultimately after poly uh, polymorph uh, you went on to Witch house Two, blood Coburn, which ultimately went onto Full Moon Entertainment, correct?
0: Well, after, right after Polymorph, I produced a film for Matthew Jason Walsh and Ariana sure. Albany and James L. Edwards called Bloodletting. And that was, uh, like I said, I edited the film and produced it, but they, they essentially shot it and made it. Um, but then I moved, yeah, then I felt sort of the grass growing around my feet in Ohio and moved to California. And um, what happened was, a short version of it is uh, Dave Dakota kind of circled back into my life since I had moved out there. Okay. He had shot a film called Shrieker, which was 35 millimeter film for Full Moon. And this was right after Full Moon had kind of lost their partnership with Paramount and were kind of back to doing stuff on their own again. And um, Dakota asked me to, if I would edit edit the film and, and do all the post-production sound and, and CGI and stuff. And uh, so that's kind of, that was my foot in the door. I was kind of like this unknown guy over the hill, they were down in Hollywood and I was up in North Hollywood, California, and they nobody really knew who I was until we had to go, I had to go and lock the final edit with uh, Charles band and and his father, Albert band and and Dave Dakota. And they were so happy with what I had done. And and once they learned sort of how I was doing it and some of these low budget methods of of the, what I was doing, Mm -hmm. they had me come back and cut curse of the puppet master. And then I wound up long story short, being their post-production supervisor. And that sort of led me back into making movies for them with witch house two, um, which was originally supposed to be two other things. I was supposed to do, a, they were doing these kids. It was a series called film monsters where they took like the classic monsters and made like these 45 minute kid movies out of it. I was supposed to do the mummy one. And I actually, we had the script and everything and, and it was about to go. And I don't remember what happened as to why it didn't, but he called me into a meeting because we were going to do a thing called fear.com, which later became horror vision, which is a film that I did produce for them. But okay. he said, Hey, we did this witch house movie last year and it's done huge business through Hollywood video and blah, blah, blah. And you know, what would you think about going to Romania and doing a sequel? And of course, you know, at the time that was the badge of honor, you know, you get to go to Romania and, and make a horror movie over there. And, and it was 35 millimeter. So, you know, it was certainly okay. not to that opportunity, and uh, so, yeah, that's how that came about. But, it, you know, again, I sort of, even though it was a work for hire thing, I tried to make it my own. And it's really a separate, all, the, all three of those witch house movies, they're kind of completely their own animal. I mean, The only, the only thing that really connects them is there's a character, a witch named Lilith you know, okay. in all three. But other than that, they they really don't have it. None of them have anything to do with each other.
1: Okay. And then, uh, from what I see, uh, you, you did a short film called Twice the Fun.
0: <laughs> well that was uh, I'm trying to think was that before Witch House 2 or was that after I, I can't remember the timeline now yeah <clears throat> that's sort of a lost thing because it was um, I don't remember it was supposed to be part of an anthology they had this Surrender Cinema series <laughs> which was sort of like their softcore erotica stuff or whatever and, and they were looking for shorts to t- tie together into an anthology or something <laughs> so I had done this yeah I directed this thing and it just sat and never got distributed. And then Charlie band had, had directed sort of ghost directed this thing called NoAngels.com, which he put a ton of money promoting. He was, he was really pushing this thing. It was sort of like a reality show with these uh, girls making this website. I think it was. And uh, when the DVD came out, I think I had already, I think we were either about to do witch house Two or I can't remember, but I've got very friendly with uh, the guy who was running the, the DVD label and i said hey why don't you stick this short film on there so somebody will actually see this thing and it's just sitting here and charlie's not going to do anything with it so that's the only distribution that it's ever gotten that's the only way you can even see it is to find that that noangels.com dvd i'm not even sure it's still in print anymore okay Mm -hmm. cool But that's what that that was that was more just sort of a lark just something for for fun (laughs) definitely
1: um and uh uh, after uh witch house two you, you um no you were the director behind witch house three then right yes
0: yeah. yeah i mean when i shot that i the goal was that i wasn't gonna do i wasn't gonna i was not gonna put my name on it um and the only reason was charlie had picked it was planning it was thinking about picking up another film called the coven i think i don't remember the exact name of it now but it was an okay. already finished film that was sort of like a knockoff of um the craft, which was popular at that time, it had just come out, okay. and he was gonna he was gonna pick this movie up and re and retitle it Witch House Three. And he he gave it to me because he wanted my opinion on the technical qualities of it. I, I don't remember if it was shot on Super VHS or what it was shot on video, and it wasn't the I remember the production values not being particularly good. But I took it home and I watched it, and I and I gave the report back to Charlie's right hand man, this guy Mickey. And I said, you know, if he wants to spend this kind of money, because I think he wanted to he was gonna pay like ten thousand dollars or something for the rights to the to the movie so to own it, I said, I could go make him something in like a week and a half that would be better than this for ten grand. Well, next thing I know, Mickey runs to Charlie and says, Hey, you know, JR said you can make a movie better than this, then uh, for the for about the same money. So next thing I know, I'm making this thing <laughs> because I opened my big mouth. So that's how Witch House Three came about. So when I went into it initially. I was like, I, you know, I'll just do this because it would be fun. I wasn't necessarily, it was a complete different, like I said, it was a completely different animal than the second one. And it wasn't like I was trying to top myself or whatever. Cause we were not shooting on 35 millimeter roofs. It was, you know, the first one was shot in Romania, 35, big cast and crew deep, you know, a, a DP who really knew what they were doing. The third one was just a, you know, we were sort of doing this low ball thing and, LA hit or miss shooting as much as you know, without permits and all this kind of stuff. So it was really designed to be a much smaller thing. But what happened as I was cutting the thing is that it actually was not bad. You know, I was sort of like, huh, this is a pretty decent little film, you know, for what it is. So I wanted to put it, keeping my name on it and it had a happy ending, I guess.
1: <laughs> Very cool. Now, did uh, did you work with any actresses or actors uh, uh, from the previous Witch House on uh, uh, Demon Fire? Or did you? Cool. No. It,
0: in uh, fact, I'm trying to think. That one was, I think that was completely new because I, actually Ariana Albright had played the witch in the first two films and wasn't interested in doing it for the third. So I enlisted Brink Stevens, who I had known for years, okay. uh, to play that part. And then I I really cast it from scratch. I think the only one, Tina Krause, was in uh, Bloodletting. So okay. we, I, I, I enlisted her and she came actually from the East Coast with Debbie Rashawn. And uh, then I got a California girl, T- Tanya Dempsey, who had been in Shrieker, the film that I had cut for uh, Dave Dakota, that got me into Full Moon. Okay. And They were basically the the main cast in, in that film. But yeah, I think that was that was such a that I mean, really was probably one of the smallest casts I've ever had. And it plays <laughs> more like a sort of a Lifetime witchcraft movie, I guess, because it's it's very female centric. It's a, it, which I always thought it would fit in very nicely on the Lifetime channel. They should have probably sold it to them. Totally understand, and uh, after, go yeah. ahead. No, I was just saying, I don't think that's a bad thing. That's that's what it was designed <laughs>
1: for. So, uh, Ultimately, after Witch House 3, you went on to d- direct uh, a-, a film called Mega Scorpions?
0: Well, <laughs> in between there was a whole bunch of other stuff. I produced oh. a bunch of stuff for, yeah. yeah. So that Witch House 3 sort of set the, a new I won't say a new low, but budget-wise, it sort of like proved that the shot-on-video thing had sort of come full circle to the point where you could actually make a decently quality movie, qual- decent quality movie on for relatively cheap. And so once Charlie caught wind of that, and of course, you know, it was we were making things essentially for blockbuster and Hollywood video. And that, you know, the, the you know nobody was getting eighty dollars for a VHS tape anymore, so the economics had changed. So I produced a string of, of movies in between there, but the way uh, they, uh, the mega scorpions, which I refuse to call it that, because it was originally called Stingers, and then when we shot it, it was called Deadly Stingers, or when I finished it, but okay. then I later retitled it. The The backstory behind that is basically, uh, there was a period of time where Fox Home Video was releasing these creature movies, Okay. and, and the guy who ran Fox Home Video was an old friend of Charlie Band's. and... Okay. Charlie went to him and said, "Hey, we want to make some of this stuff for you. What could we make a deal?" So he, they made a deal for this giant scorpion movie, and um, Courtney Joyner had written the script. He already had the script, and basically, Charlie turned to me after pr- having produced all this other stuff and said, "Hey, do you want to make this?" And it was one of those things where I think he was getting he was getting one price, and we were getting another to make it. Like I'm just throw out these numbers that are probably not totally accurate, but just so you, like maybe Fox was going to give him $300,000 and, but I would have maybe 125 to make the, the film on. Okay. And that was my first experience actually shooting HD video. So we, we did try to upgrade the Shano video thing to, to actually shoot, although it was never finished in HD, but um, yeah, we had best of intentions with that one, but it just... I, I, I don't know, the the pup, the pup giant scorpion puppet never really worked out. It wound up almost entirely being replaced by CGI. <laughs> what happened was, I that was the film that I was sort of, we were doing a lot of night shoots again. I'm <clears throat> standing up in the middle of nowhere in Northern California at this ranch shooting this thing, and I just sort of looked around and said, you know, what the hell am I doing? This is not like all those years ago when I was making Dead Next Door. This is not what I got into this for. I had sort of become disillusioned by the, the machine that that was full moon, you know, for a while it was nice. It was making stuff. It was making good money. It was all good. But I sort of just lost interest in in doing that and was ready to just take a big step back and not do that anymore. So I really barely finished that movie. I mean, I, I sat, I think with the editor, I didn't even edit the film. I sat with an editor once just to give some notes. And then I was kind of done with it after that. And what wound up happening was by the time the movie was finished, um fox home video i guess had had a couple of of other creature features that had been stinkers that hadn't done well so they decided they just gave up this whole idea to do this so the movie was orphaned you know i think what happened was fox had the the rights the home video rights to it and charlie maybe had the international rights or something i don't really know how the deal worked but it it just sat because nobody knew who had the rights to it so it was my sort of lost film for the longest time nobody saw it we showed it at a couple conventions and different things but that was the only way anybody ever saw the thing and okay. i forgot about it and moved on to, to my own thing running uh, my dvd label and whatever but um <clears throat> years later it turned up uh, i think in the uk maybe somewhere somebody started sending me like uh websites that had it listed and then eventually charlie van launched this full moon streaming <laughs> uh, the site, and he retitled it Mega Scorpions and that's how it sort of came back to life again, but uh, <laughs> it landed with a thud on, <laughs> on uh,
1: service. I figure about here is where I'll give you a chance to talk about some of the things that you've produced um, and also about your label uh, 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 uh,
0: that you called Tempe Video, correct? Yeah, I go more by Tempe Digital now, but it's the same okay. thing. It's all the same Same movies. Yeah. Um, well the I mean the distribution thing I've, always, I've dabbled in it for a long time because it was always it was to me it was always the end game was to to be able to make movies and get them distributed but what happens when you try to run your own label is you realize that it's kind of a full time job and you don't you, you're you know getting other films made or picking up other people's movies and you don't really have time to you know make your own things so I became less of a filmmaker more of a uh, distributor, and there was a few oddball titles that I that I wound up financing and having a little bit of input in, as, and got an executive producer credit on things like Platoon of the Dead and Poison Sweethearts and Forest Primeval. Those were titles I distributed, you know, eight or ten years ago. I remember
1: a uh, film um, a couple years back, I think in two thousand fifteen,
0: called Safe Place that you helped out. Um, Oh, well, safe inside. Well, that actually was just. That was, yeah, that was my friend Jason column Jason Paul Collum made that film, and that he made that completely on his own. I, I didn't have any involvement in the production of it necessarily, but I had to finish the sound mix for him and, nice. and distributing it. So yeah, I mean that was that was uh, that's how that went. But yeah, I mean as far as other films, at this point I've produced way more movies than I've directed or written or. You know and it was never my really intention, but it's just sort of the way I think these things go sometimes, I guess. But as, um, as a, a producer of films, which ones would you uh,
1: uh, say to definitely check out if, uh, if you were to uh,
0: <laughs> say? Um, Produced the stuff that I've produced. Well, Skinned Alive has a lot of fans. That was actually the first film I produced, you know, and didn't didn't direct. Um, it's more of a Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of vibe, but it's a little sillier than than that film. But uh, that one has some fans. Um, there's another one I did years later. Uh, my friend David Barton, the makeup effects artist, um, did for Full Moon called Dead and Rotting, which is really sort of is to to for that film to have even been released by full moon it's such a an oddball movie um it doesn't really fit in that whole category but that that's that's one i always thought turned out kind of to be neat, kind of a neat little movie okay uh, uh, i'm trying to think i mean i've done some i've done so many you'd think i'd have more recommendations but uh, bloodletting <laughs> bloodletting is always a popular one that was a very troubled production because the the dynamics of the personalities that were, were making it but uh but that that one has a lot of fans as well. It's sort of like a natural born killers kind of thing with this these two serial killers and falling in love. Okay. Cool.
1: Well, um, I figured that uh, all the time that we have for today. But uh, but I hope that um, I hope that some of my questions uh, didn't. Put you off kilter, or or, or anything like that. I, no, no, like I said, I like lear- learning all the experiences that people go through uh, go through, and that's uh, that's why I have people on my show as well uh, you know to uh, to share some of the uh, background what what you've actually done as a filmmaker, producer, or otherwise me myself being a small budding producer myself, you know, <laughs> I like to hear. The, uh, the different uh mindsets behind what uh, what was going on i appreciate your time
0: oh no problem thank you for having me
1: so um if, if there's anything else that you uh, uh, you'd like to say, say about uh, about about anything um while, while we're on feel free feel free to say so now uh, uh but um I figure we'll uh We'll wrap this up here.
0: Yeah, I think the only thing we missed was to talk about the Robot Ninja restoration, which is that's the Definitely. sort of the ongoing thing right now is that uh, we're I'm restoring, uh, doing a 2K restoration of Robot Ninja from the original 16-millimeter negatives. And there's got maybe, what, three or four more days on Indiegogo. And uh, anybody who wants to check that film out and see it in the best quality that it's ever been and loaded with extras and all that kind of, th- all those goodies, that'll be out uh, later this year. So that's sort of the next... Uh, the next thing up, I guess, and I know I'm looking forward to uh, that release. I put
1: uh, I put down for uh, for it, so I, I'm I'm de- uh, definitely uh, I'm definitely cheering you on to, uh, to, to at least uh, g- get a proper release for it. So uh. well,
0: thank you, I appreciate it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and this was my chance to try to reach out and uh, help in any way, shape, or form that I could. And yeah, you know, every so often fans like to. Uh, uh, Fans of yourselves probably like to hear little bits and tidbits,
0: regardless. Oh, yeah. No, the old, you could drag out some of the old stories again, sure
1: all righty well in any case thank you for coming on i appreciate your uh, time definitely check out the uh, the campaign it is still uh going live for robot ninja you have about three or four days to uh, to uh uh check that out and uh, I'll, I'll actually be putting a link to the indiegogo campaign uh on my inside movies galore page with this uh uh, with this, uh, interview. So, uh, so that way that'll ha- help you out and whatnot. Great, so great. Thank in you. any case, hopefully you have a great evening and, uh, pr- uh, again, appreciate your time.
0: No problem. Thanks. You too.
1: You have a good afternoon. You too.
0: Now you have to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do oh ya? Yeah. Punks?